and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be here with you on this blustery evening. As we begin a brand new series tonight, I want to mention something that was an oversight on my part last week because I had accidentally put down the wrong number of the episode of Steadfast back in December. I completely overlooked the fact that it was last week that we had our very special 200th episode of Steadfast. As we near the fourth year that we've been doing this, completing the fourth year, that is, what an amazing thing it is to think that we've actually gone through 200 studies of God's Word together on Monday nights. And I love getting to do that with you, and I just didn't want to pass up mentioning that as we begin tonight. So, what a perfect thing. For the 201st edition of Steadfast, we are beginning a brand new series entitled Able to Sin. And appropriately enough, it's about the sin of Cain killing Abel and everything that comes out of that. That's where we're going to be dwelling for the next few weeks is what happens in Genesis 4. There's a lot going on, and it's all coming out of the ramifications of the war, so to speak, in the very first family. You can't have a big war when you only have two brothers, but you do have warring between them. One of them ends up dead, and everything else plays out from that. So let's go ahead and ask our God to guide us as we think about that. And, and don't just see it as something far off and distant and almost hard to imagine, but we understand that, that really the things happening are the very things that we deal with still today. And then ask God to help us to think about the places where we're quite able to sin and how we instead can move towards him away from sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for having mercy on us mercy on all of your people over time, even when so often we choose to run towards sin and not away from it. Lord, tonight as we, we think about sin and we think about how we fall into it, would you help us? Would you help us to, to be, even though we're those who are able to sin, those who receive righteousness from the one who did not sin, your son, our savior, Jesus. And as we dwell in the righteousness that you give us. Would you help us to be equipped to flee sin and to run towards you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you imagine what the very beginning of everyday life would be like? It's kind of hard to think about, isn't it? Because we, we have the completely unimaginable different time in the Garden of Eden, a time when God dwelt with human beings. But then we have Adam and Eve falling into sin, and things spiral quite quickly there. Within what would appear to be very short order, not only has sin occurred, not only have Adam and Eve felt shame for the first time, but they're cast out of the Garden of Eden, and then, and then, everyday life begins. 
What are they going to do then? What are they going to do when everything they've known up to that point is gone? Everything that's good in some sense might feel like it's gone. Well, they have to go about normal life. They're going to die if they don't. If they don't raise food, if they don't seek shelter, if they don't do the things that we all have to do, they just die. And they don't just die. So they go about everyday life. We know that. But can you imagine Adam and Eve? They've dwelt with God. They've walked with God. Now they're out in the, the land, cast out the garden, and they have to figure out the lay of the land, so to speak. It makes me sort of think of if you ever brought a, a cat into a new home, either a cat you've had for a while or, or maybe you've adopted a new, a new pet. And one of the things that's interesting to watch a cat do, a cat wants to know his territory. And so what does a cat do? Well, you bring that new cat into the home, and once the cat feels at least safe enough to, to move about at all, he'll start going around the perimeter of any space he can get to and get down essentially a blueprint. I can kind of imagine the little blueprint being sketched out in, in his brain as he thinks about, well, okay, here is the lay of the land. Now, when you see the cat doing that and you see him working up the nerve to do that, that's not really a picture of what life is going to be like, is it? No, because the cat, once he has control of the territory, well, I mean, there's all the jokes about how cats have servants rather than, than owners, and there's so much to that. I mean, right, if you have a pet cat, you know that cat likes to make sure to train his humans well, and so that's all going to come, but first, the lay of the land. And so that's sort of where we are here. Genesis chapter 4, human beings are getting the lay of the land, and and eventually they do. And we're not told exact time frames on a lot of things here. So how does how how does it work the very first time? Not growing up like all of us have done, but but being grown up and being cast into the reality of a fallen world, what does that look like? Well, we don't know all the details, but we do know at some point they start to move forward. And they even start to move forward with the commission that God has given them. We are told back Genesis chapter 1, that human beings were commissioned to be fruitful and multiply. And here we see the first two children born, Cain and Abel. And let's go ahead, pick up right there, and see what happens. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. So, right there, we get a very zoomed out view. Imagine your whole life. Well, essentially, your whole life has taken place in that period of time, because what do we see here? We see the first generation of human beings living in a fallen world, and then the movement to the second generation of human beings, and not just the birth of, of Cain and Abel, but the birth, the growing up, and the getting of jobs, so to speak, of Cain and Abel. They both pick up an occupation. And so what do we see? Well, we see that Cain becomes a farmer, and we see Abel is raising livestock, and, and they go about this. Are we hearing about the first time that Cain ever raised a crop and Abel ever raised sheep? Well, we don't know that for for certain, but what we do know is that the two of them go about their respective professions and that then they are at the point where they need to decide 
how are we going to express gratitude to God for what, what he's doing? We talked about that last night in our sermon, how the wise men respond with gratitude and worship the God of the universe. They worship the God in the flesh as they come to Jesus. And in some sense, this is a similar inflection point. What are these two men who have not seen God face to face in the way that their parents did, but but yet are so close in proximity to the creation, so close in proximity in, in a very real way to God, what are they going to do when God allows them to succeed at the work that they do? And in some sense, at least, we maybe they're not productive in the way modern farming might be, but they're productive. They, they have something to offer God. And commentators, as they've wrestled over the exact terminology here, what it basically comes down to, it, Cain and Abel are offering their first fruits. Maybe Cain has just had his first harvest, it's easy to imagine that sort of where we're picking up. And, and Abel has had the first from his flock bo born, a, a new generation. And, and so we're seeing something happening here. And the question is, now what comes? Well, more of everyday life, right? They're, they're going to, to harvest and then they're going to sacrifice. And it's very much what we're going to see as the ebb and flow of everyday life for all the generations to come. And in that, that's where the extraordinary starts to happen. In that, that's where things start to break down. I think that's telling. Because if you think about what I'm describing here, nothing extraordinary is happening. Abel doesn't have miraculously generated livestock. Cain doesn't walk out to the field and say, wow, I can't believe it's plowed and it's plowed in perfect rows that won't be possible until John Deere comes into existence some millennia later. That's not what they say. They're, they're going and doing the work. It's very much, it would feel probably normal to them. Maybe they're the first to specialize, but presumably their parents had done some of this. And I know I've had some conversations with with those of you at the church about where the other people will see referenced in Genesis 4 come into play. We'll get to them in the coming weeks, but I think just in a short point on that, more than likely there were other siblings in, in play here. So a, a lot of this, we're getting a focal point here, but some of this stuff may not have even been the first. I, it's, it's fun to speculate that it was, but it was just, let's just, let's leave it where it really should be. It was every day life. And I think that's so important. The reason I really want us to dwell in the everyday of it is because oftentimes I think we can get into this false sense that where sin comes in is when things get out of hand. As long as we're, we're on the everyday, as long as everything's moving along as it feels like it should in the moment, we're, we're on cruise control. It's okay. Cruise control, that used to be a pretty amazing thing, wasn't it? You, you had a car and you could push a button and you still had to steer, you still had to pay attention, you still had to do almost everything, but you could take your foot off the gas pedal. I'm not a big cruise control person, but I like it sometimes if my foot starts to get cramping, I can just kind of lock it on on there, stretch my foot for a moment on a long drive, and then, and then take back over. I want to be in control. But there's a certain appeal to the idea of someday maybe it being where we don't have to control cars at all. That sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? Where, where they just take us places and we can do other things. And we're starting to get there. We see more and more automation in cars and, and some cars even have features that essentially claim to be, actually one of them is literally called autopilot. None of these cars though are supposed to, the, the ones that we can buy as consumers, supposed to drive themselves without 
a human keeping an eye on how things go. But sometimes people get mistaken about that. We started to hear about self-driving cars, quote unquote, getting into accidents. Well, sometimes that may have something to do with a sensor going wrong or what have you, but the vast majority of the time, it would seem, what it really comes down to is human beings not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They get into this nice groove. The, the car is staying within the lane. It's not getting too close to the car in front of it. It can even maybe make some turns. It's still a little mind-blowing for me, but some cars can do that. And, and so that's happening. And so the people in the car, even though the, all the warnings, lights, and screens are saying you have to pay attention, you need to keep your hands on the wheel in case something goes wrong, etc., what do they do? They quit paying attention because they're on just that nice comfort of everything is under control. And that's when something goes wrong and they end up in a horrendous accident. And that's when things go wrong for us too. And we end up in a horrendous accident with sin because everything's just cruising along. Cain and Abel, they're, they're raising their respective uh, livestock and, and uh, agricultural products. And everything seems pretty good until it isn't, it sins there. And I have to think that one of the key things for Cain as we encounter him over the next couple of weeks and what he does, one of the key things is he's on autopilot too long. He's cruising along too long. And by the time that he's even aware of what's going wrong, it's almost too late. Now, it's not really too late. We can never be at such a point where it's too late to quit sinning. We can always turn and quit going further into sin, and, and certainly God is going to confront Cain with an opportunity to do that. But he's so far along on it that he's not ready to hear it any longer. And I, I think that's often the challenge for us as well. But it takes time. Now, why am I saying it takes time? I think one of the things that was really striking as I was studying this time, I was reading a commentary on Genesis 4, and I'd never looked at verse 1 the way this commentator did, but it was incredibly helpful. Let's just take a look back there again. Notice what Eve says when Cain is born. She says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Sounds okay, doesn't it? And, and that's generally how I read it, and, and many people have. But as I was reading it this time, and as I was reading this commentary on it, it was pointed out, when you really think about how she phrases that, there's actually pretty good reason to read that negatively. Was Eve able to create a human being? No. God had. She'd been created by God. God could just form her, and there she was. And she sort of acknowledges that, which is where we focus. Well, with the help of God, she has given birth to this child. But notice how she's saying it. Essentially, God and I work together, and now we have, have, have this additional human being. Yeah, I didn't do it all like God, but I did a big part of it. And what we see there is a start of a mindset that is going to probably tie into where Cain is going to go in his life as well. Because as he looks and he's giving his offering, I think the thing that's going on in his mind is, yeah, I need to give this offering of gratitude to God, but God and I have raised this field. And as we explore Cain's attitude over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to see is it really seems like Cain has a great deal of resentment. He doesn't want to give an offering. Abel does, but Cain, it seems, doesn't. And so it's sort of that attitude that he's getting from his mom. She's gotten a man. Cain has gotten a crop. 
sometimes people have said, well, God wanted an animal sacrifice like Abel offered, not a agricultural sacrifice like Cain offered. There's nothing in the text that says that. And if we're thinking about an offering of first fruit, something that we'll see developed further later in the Old Testament, it makes perfect sense that Cain offers the crops that he's raised. He can't offer the first fruits of animals if he's raising plants. Doesn't work that way, right? You, you never plant wheat and say, oh, wow, I've just, wow, look at these cows that I'm getting from, from this wheat I planted. No, I'm not a farmer, but I know it doesn't work that way. Cain offers what he's been growing, but I think the problem is he's lost the focus on how God is blessing him with the ability to grow it. And I think that's the everyday root of it. And it speaks to our everyday attitude. When we go in and out of work, when we go in and out of school, when, we, when we're working around our homes, are we thinking about the blessing that God gives us even in the things that we're doing? Are we thinking about what we're doing because we're doing it? all of us go to that latter place an awful lot of the time, and that's what sets up the problem for Cain. And sin confronts us, as we can see in verse 5. We're told regarding the offerings that Cain and Abel bring, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And like I said, I, I think when we read that, a lot of times we think, well, Cain comes up and he's just so happy. He's coming and offering his offering to God. And he, he arrives there and he offers it. And God says, you know, it's like some bad reality TV show. And God's the judge on the panel. And he doesn't like a clearly talented offering that Cain is offering. That doesn't seem to be the case at all. Because I, I think what we see, and even as God is directly interacting with Cain, wouldn't it be great, we might think, if God directly interacted with me and said, hey, Tim, you're getting ready to sin in this way. You might want to stop. That's what God does for Cain, and Cain has no interest in hearing out God. It tells us something about Cain's attitude, and it seems to stretch all the way back to, to Eve's view of things that we see a few verses before. We have this continual line of human beings thinking too much of themselves. Clearly, Cain is thinking too much of himself here because his reaction when God doesn't like his offering is to get angry doesn't try to self-examine and figure out what he's missed. Maybe he wasn't even aware of how ungrateful he'd become towards the Lord. I think that's probably the case. But he doesn't give this as an opportunity. Oh, I need to, to examine my own heart. I need to examine my own actions and think about how I can do better. No, what Cain does is it becomes angry at the situation. His biggest problem, I think clearly, the offering is saturated in attitude that's wrong. This is going to be a repeated problem in the Old Testament. We're going to see it in the New Testament. And we're going to see it in ourselves today. For example, if we turn to Jeremiah chapter 7, we read these words. Verse 5, for if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. This is right in the context of the people wrestling with the, the, the prophecies that Jeremiah was bringing, that God's judgment was coming. And to the extent they wanted to deny those prophecies, a lot of times where they went was, but we're offering sacrifices to God. We have the temple where we worship God. There isn't a problem, Jeremiah. Why are you being such a naysayer? 
Get with the program. Promote Israel. Quit talking about the other nations and, and how they're going to conquer Judah. The problem was their attitude. Yes, they were offering sacrifices. Yes, they had the place of worship of the God of the whole universe, but what they didn't have is the right attitude towards them. They didn't have that humility we were talking about the wise men last night, and the humility I believe we also see in Abel in this story. They just had part of it. They had the covering of God's righteousness. They had the covering of doing what God wanted them to do. Cain has the covering of doing what God wanted him to do, but not the core of it. Reminds me of years ago when, when my family went to a trip to the Ozarks and we saw all kinds of signs along the highway for a barbecue restaurant that was supposed to be award-winning. And so we decided to stop and have lunch. And, and so we pulled over at this barbecue restaurant. We'd seen the signs for, for years and they'd been around for years. And we pulled in. It's called Tiny's Barbecue. I can mention that because they're no longer in business. And I'll tell you now why they were no longer in business. We went inside and as we went in, I think we knew better. We knew we should leave, but we didn't. You started looking around and everything was amiss. The tables were dirty. The menus were dirty. They had a, a buffet you could go up to and you couldn't see the food because the glass was so caked with oils that hadn't been cleaned. I mean, it, I can't believe we ate there. I don't think we've ever intentionally stayed at a place that, that had that many warning signs before. But we stayed there because we'd seen all the signs we thought about it for so long. We decided to try it. And so we ordered our food and it came and we were increasingly feeling hesitant as we awaited it, but the food arrived. And I remember my meat had this weird iridescent quality to it. I've never seen a meat before or since. I took a few bites before I thought better of it, not much. And as I discovered more just how weird this looked, I stopped. We all stopped. But here's what I remember recalling about it is that there was a barbecue sauce on it and the sauce it was a pretty good barbecue sauce. I imagine at one point this was an award-winning barbecue joint. But it was covering meat that there was something profoundly wrong with it. All of our food that we'd ordered, there was something profoundly wrong with it. Clearly, the food in the buffet wasn't being tended right. So yes, they had a nice sauce. But what really mattered wasn't being taken care of at this restaurant. And so often when we think about our worship or our theology, we think, well, I have all this nice stuff to offer God. I have the right theology. I read the right pastors and theologians. I check all the right theological boxes. I go to church. I watch a Monday night live stream of a Bible study even. And we have all these things and they're good things. A good barbecue sauce is a key part of a good barbecue joint. But you need good meat underneath it. You need something right underneath it. You need the right attitude, the right heart before our Lord. That's what really matters to him. He wants all that other stuff, but he wants it as the topping to a life that humbly comes before him, that, that goes and is ready to worship him every step of the way like we see with the wise men. We see with Abel. And Cain was able, pun not intended, to do the same. Cain just like I couldn't resist that pun, it just had to come out. Cain could have resisted the urge to, to come with a sour attitude. And he could have resisted the urge to act with anger when he had a sour attitude, both towards God and towards his brother who was doing what was right. But he chose not to. He said, I offered perfectly good barbecue sauce to God. And the fact that the meat underneath is suspicious colors should be of no concern to God. 
fact, it looks fine to me. I, I put sunglasses on, and with those sunglasses on, I can't see anything wrong. It's oftentimes what we do as well. As we see sin crouching in everyday life, we're so accustomed to it. It's just what we're used to hearing and saying. King grew up hearing about how his mom had got a man with the help of God, and he has that same attitude. And his descendants were going to see King passes it along to his descendants too. It's, it's a family problem that keeps getting passed along. At every point, they could choose to do differently. I'm going to spoil it a little bit. When we get to the end of this series in a few weeks, we're going to see that Eve at some point chooses to do differently. But we're not going to get there quite yet. The key thing is in this moment, we see fallen people acting in a very fallen way. And the question is, we're fallen. What are we going to do? Sin's going to crouch in our lives. It's going to be right there too. And so we know that sin's going to attack us. And it's going to attack us when we're on autopilot, when things seem to be just going along the road and our senses are kind of dulled because we've been on the highway so long. That's when it's going to attack. The only question, the question is, what are we going to do when it does? That's what we need to think about. Let's think about this here, friends, what we're going to do to be ready for that. There's only one thing we can really do to be ready for it. We can come before our God. We can come before him in his word and prayer. We can ask our God to help us. That's what's going to make a difference. We're not going to help God to make our lives less sinful. We're not going to get a righteous life with the help of God. But we can get a righteous life by God's work and his alone. Let's pray that we recognize that in our lives, that we hang on to that. Can you join me? Lord, would you help us as we get dulled in everyday life, as we start to think that we can do things on our own, that we start to lose track of the, the bad attitudes and the bad assumptions that just build up and creep into our lives year after year, the things that we've heard said and that we say, the things that we've thought and continue to think, the things that we're not really even aware of. And even when we become aware, we're so dulled to it, we don't do anything. Would you help us? You give us the guidance that we need, the strength that we need, because we can't do it alone, but you can. Would you make us people who, even though we are able to sin, that by your grace might be those who don't choose sin, but instead choose righteousness time and again. Righteousness before you, righteousness in our attitudes towards others, that we might be those who exemplify your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Well, I hope this was an encouragement to you, and if it was, I would love to hear from you. You can find our texting line on screen. It's 833-356-4032. That's 833-356-4032. It's right on screen. Or you can leave a comment in the comments below. We can pray for each other. We should seek prayer for each other more often. Seek to pray and be prayed for, because that's how we resist, not, not through our own strength but by coming humbly for our God together. If you have any questions, you can use that same line or the comments for those as well. It's always great to hear from you. I hope you have a wonderful and blessed week, and I can't wait to see you again next week.
Thank you.